welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Visit the Northeast of Scotland podcast with me, your host, Jacqueline Vanlenacher. Today we're having a slightly different podcast as we're talking all things Christmas and Hogmanay in Scotland. I share some of the traditions around this time of year. We hear from a good friend, Catherine Leeper, about her experiences of the festive season growing up and the traditions she has continued with her own family. We learn a bit more about some of the more unusual and forgotten celebrations, such as the burning of the clavy with Fiona Jane Brown, and how herring played a role in a very curious act. Finally, we finish with a Hogmanay poem written by Angela Wybrow. The History of Christmas in Scotland Celtic pagans held celebrations around the time of the winter solstice, usually the 21st or 22nd of December, in acknowledgement of the shortest day of the year. These festivities were in part to brighten the winter days, but also to appease the gods and allow the sun to return. Vikings began raiding Scotland in the late 700s and settled here from the 8th to the 15th century. The Vikings brought their own way of celebrating the winter solstice, which they referred to as Yule. This is the Old Norse term that has its roots in the time of Yule, the pagan festivities which took place across what we now know as Christmas time, as well as being translated from the Norse poetry as a word for feast. Highly appropriate since a midwinter feast was a key part of Viking celebrations. Scottish traditions are, to say the least, a little on the patchy side. There are some great pagan ideas and first-rate medieval treats, but there's a huge yawning chasm of a Christmas-free zone until the middle of the 20th century, until it all came back into fashion. One of the most unusual facts about a Scottish Christmas tradition is they haven't been around for very long. For nearly 400 years, the celebration of Christmas as we know it was banned in Scotland, and it's no wonder that the Scottish New Year Festival of Hogmanay is a days-long party. The people of the United Kingdom were oppressed by Oliver Cromwell in the mid-1600s, during a period known as the Reformation. Parliament issued the ban in 1647 and upheld it for nearly 15 years. When Cromwell fell from grace, the ban was lifted in most of the UK, but not in Scotland. The Scottish Presbyterian Church continued to discourage Christmas holiday festivities, including formal mass, and people suffered penalties if caught celebrating. This ban lasted for nearly 400 years. No celebrations of Christmas after the Nativity itself is recorded in the Bible. Therefore, they should not be done in Scotland, and accordingly it was forbidden along with other feasts of the Roman Church. Gradually over the centuries, the Kirk softened its line. Christmas might not be such a bad idea after all. No doubt the development of the Dickensian English Christmas had something to do with this. And more to the point, perhaps the liberal-minded ministers came to realise that the nativity, with the child in its manger, and the shepherds and the wise men who came to worship him, was one of the most attractive elements of the Christian religion, appealing even to people who had no interest in theology, and who, if they attended church at all, might do so principally, or at least in part, because this was a mark of social respectability. 
The acknowledgement of Christmas was a quiet, reverent affair bookmarked by church services and hard work. Well into the 20th centuries, Scots would work on Christmas Day. Few adults exchanged presents, although children received small treats and tokens. There would be a light Christmas dinner, and some families had small evergreens in their home and decorated the doorways with boughs of holly. But the county Scots, unwilling to forgo a good party, simply moved the traditions a week along, and this came from the Scottish emphasis on Hogmanay. Christmas was not recognised as a public holiday in Scotland until 1958, and up until then people continued to work and saving their fun until New Year's Eve. So simply put, if you wanted a traditional Scottish Christmas, then get up as usual, go into work as normal, return home to a bowl of soup and an early night. There are a few traditions that have clung on and remain to this day. One of the Scottish Christmas traditions that was banned for so many years included the baking of Yule bread. During the ban, bakers were required to give the authorities the name of anyone requesting this holiday staple. A loaf of unleavened bread is baked for each individual in the family, and the person who finds a trinket in his or her loaf will have good luck all year. Redding the house is an annual cleaning which rids the home of bad luck from the previous year and encourages good luck into the new year. Part of this custom may include burning juniper branches within the home until it fills with smoke and then opening all the windows to cast out bad spirits. Many Scots still burn a twig of a rowan tree at Christmas as a way to clear the bad feelings of jealousy or mistrust between family members, friends or neighbours. This act of burning occurs in several guises and celebrations such as the burning of the clavy and the Stonehaven Fireballs Festival at New Year. Once the ban on Christmas was lifted, the Scottish adapted to many of the Christmas traditions used in England and the US today. I recently asked my friend Catherine if she could share with us some of her family traditions from childhood and the traditions she's brought into her own family when it comes to the Christmas feast. There's probably a few things that me and my family do around about Christmas that are maybe a wee bit more Scottish um, than other places. Um, so thinking about Christmas Eve, um, it was always quite busy with the preparations for the dinner. Um, so just like everywhere else, the Christmas dinner is like a big deal. So you have your presents in the morning around the tree and then you have your big Christmas dinner in the afternoon. And generally we'll have the same as most other folk are accustomed to, I'm sure, except for maybe um, the starter. So as a kid, I remember it was always soup. Um, we'd always start with soup, which does seem like quite a a heavy tummy filling sort of starter um, but it's hot and that's always quite important because it's usually freezing outside on Christmas day. When I was a kid it was usually snowing as well. It wasn't unusual to have snow on Christmas day when I was a kid. Um, it's different now, the weather's changed, the snow comes much later in the year but um, always soup. So usually cockaliki, which is uh, chicken, leek and sort of barley soup or broth 
um, you can't go wrong with a bowl of broth and some oat cake and I still do that to this day um, for my Christmas dinner at home now with my own family, my husband and children but now we do um, Cullen skink instead and that's just because my uh, eldest son, he loves to cook and that's his favourite one to make. And Christmas morning, um, it's a tradition in my house to have salmon. So my kids love smoked Scottish salmon, so we always have that with some homemade oat cakes. So I always make some oat cakes, and it just makes it a wee bit more special. Um, and usually, you know, most families will have turkey, just the, the Christmas standard. But generally in Scotland, most people stuff their turkey with oatmeal. Scottish people, we pretty much have oatmeal or barley with everything. Um, the pudding might be a bit different, I guess. Um, it's very traditional in Scotland um, to have a clouty dumpling, which is uh, like a fruit dumpling that you boil in, in an old cloth, which is where the word uh, clouty comes from. So usually um, you know, your, your granny would, would bring that and you'd have that uh, slice of that warm for your, for your pudding. Um, however, for me, growing up in a Scottish New Zealand fusion, um, it would be a mix of the classic Scottish fare and then just a pavlova thrown in for good measure. Um, my other grandmother would bring along um, her pavlova, all decked out with cream and sliced kiwi fruits. So yeah, um, and now for our pudding, I make kranachin because I love it. Um, so it's like a raspberry, whiskey, cream um, and oatmeal dessert. There you go. More oatmeal. Like I say, we love our oatmeal. Um, so yeah, just quite similar um, traditions when it comes to to the food at least anyway. One tradition that I do know of in Scotland that um, it's maybe not unique to Scotland but I just remember it from a child as a child is having a lit candle in your window on Christmas Eve. Um, I think that kind of goes back to the idea of being a welcome place for anyone out you know, in the winter or on the long dark nights, um, and I still do this, and I know lots of people do, whether it's just decorative or, you know, um, or part of that tradition. Christmas Eve, before bed, we always leave out a good dram for Santa, um, with either some homemade gingerbread or some shortbread, and a slice of neep for his reindeers, <laughs> which is probably not very fair, um, because you don't really want to be sat behind any sort of ruminant after it's eaten neeps. Um, so yeah, sorry about that, Sandy Claus. And then my husband and I, um, we always have a hot toddy before bed on Christmas Eve um, and toast the last of the day and welcome in, welcome in uh, Christmas Day. Um, so yeah, very, very similar, I think, in, in Scotland to the rest of the UK, but maybe the sort of the Christmas dinner menu differs slightly. Modern Christmas traditions are similar to those of other Western countries. People sing carols and decorate their houses with lights, putting a Christmas tree in the window and a wreath on the door. Children write letters to Santa Claus and on Christmas Eve leave something for him to eat, like a mince pie and a drink such as whiskey when he visits in the night. On Christmas Eve, some families like to attend Midnight Mass and on Christmas Day, people give and receive presents before gathering around the table for a hearty lunch. People pull crackers and tell bad jokes, make toasts and then relax for the rest of the day, often in front of the television to watch the Queen's speech or a festive film. 
Now, Hogmanay is a very important celebration. And back in the days of yore, when the Druids and the Pagans inhabited Scotland, the festival they celebrated at this time was marked by the winter solstice. This is the longest night of the year and signifies the depth of winter. We don't know exactly what our ancestors believed, but it is reasonable to think that this festival was held to appease the gods and ask for the return of the sun. To help in this, they took greenery into the house as a symbol of life in the deep, dark nights. Mistletoe, revered by the Druids for its fertility properties, was cut from the sacred oak tree, and it isn't hard to extrapolate from this our own habit of kissing under the branches. To banish the dark, the pagans brought fire into the house, and at some point this time of year became known as Yule. During the festival of Yule, a log was gathered. And unlike our chocolate confection, this log was specially chosen and lit using a tinder from the old fire. Charred remains of this fire would be used to protect the house throughout the year. Today, New Year's Eve in Scotland is called Hogmanay, and this joyful gathering was especially celebrated in the years when Christmas was banned, and celebrations could last for days. Edinburgh now hosts one of the world's biggest and most famous Hogmanay street parties with an amazing fireworks display. All over the country, Scottish people brighten up the dark winter with music, poetry and bonfires. Hogmanay traditions are many, but all focus on the basic principles of warmth, sharing and sustenance. Togetherness is important. Certainly the most famous is the singing of Old Lang Syne, which was written by the iconic Scottish poet Robert Burns and sees people gathering together and linking arms to sing in unison. This became a popular convention by the mid-twentieth century, and there are many poems and songs written by Robert Louis Stevenson that celebrate Hogmanay and the passing of the year, but nothing holds a haggis to the Burns classic song. be forgot and never brought to mind should all the acquaintance be forgot for old lang syne for old lang syne my jewel for old Catherine continues to share with us her memories and experiences of Hogmanay when she was growing up and how these have continued with her own family. For Hogmanay, um, it's always been a big celebration. Ever since I was a child, I can remember it being a big deal. Um, I remember Hogmanay, there's just, there was always people in the house in the lead up to the bells. And there'd always be food on the go, um, usually a pot of soup probably broth, and maybe uh, a pan of stovies, um, and there'd always be snacks and treats out for the kids. And whenever people turned up at the house, they'd always have something for the kids to keep them occupied. Well, I suppose the Hogmanay and Year, they're pretty much just open house for visitors. 
um, everyone's welcome and there's always a, a drink and something to eat for everyone. Um, <laughs> actually, I remember in the village that I grew up in, um, as a child, the, the local piper, Ali, he would march around the village on Hogmanay playing his pipes and lead up to the bells. In every house where he knew someone, he would stand at the door and play the pipes. And we'd all come out, come out and watch him playing the pipes and then he'd be given a dram. Um, but as he worked his way around the village over the course of the night, you know, the more and more places he stopped at, the less and less uh, recognisable the music was that was coming out of the bagpipes. <laughs> it was quite funny. Um, but yeah, as kids, you know, we were always allowed to stay up late to, to welcome the bells in. It was always just quite exciting. You know, there was lots of chat and music and stories and it was just, it was just a bit of a buzz. So as the lead up to the bells began, everyone would always have a drink in their hands to toast the new year. Um, and as the bells rang, at, after the bells rang at midnight, um, the first fooding began. So I think this is quite a Scottish thing. I'm not sure if, um, if, it's, if it's done anywhere else. Um, but people would head out after the bells and they would wish each other a happy new year. And then up here in Aberdeenshire, we would always, we always say to folk, Lang may your lumberic, which means long may your chimney smoke. Um, so you're just kind of wishing people well for the year with this sort of idea that, you know, as long as you've got something to keep your fire going, you're doing all right. Um, so with first footing, when you visit somebody for the first time after the bells, it brings luck. But you can't turn up empty handed. You have to come with a gift of something to warm the fire and a gift of something um, for, for the person that you're visiting. So it's usually a lump of coal, um, sometimes salt and a dram, a good dram of whiskey, obviously, standard. But actually, the luckiest person to have as your very first person through your door after the bells have rang is a tall, dark-haired man. I remember being told as a kid that this goes back to the Viking days because, you know, if you had a big, fair-haired guy knocking your door in the middle of the night, um, it probably was a Viking invasion, which, you know, it's not that lucky. So to have the opposite of that at your door brings in the good luck. But your dark-haired man, um, he can't be in the house when the bells ring. <laughs> so whoever happened to be in your house at the time that fitted that description was usually turfed out the door just before the bells began to ring, um, holding their lump of coal and their, their bottle of whiskey. And then after the last chime at midnight, they had to knock a door and be welcomed back into the house. Um, by whoever owned the house and then they were given a dram we could toast the new year um i actually remember my nana saying and i don't know if you know if anybody else does this but the the first footer the first the year you're tall dark stranger they had to come in through the front door because they would bring in the good luck but they had to leave out the back door because then they would take the bad luck out with them and yeah just you know after midnight um, after the bells rang, people would just kind of spill out of everywhere and fill the streets, whether it was, you know, out of the neighbours' houses or out of the pub, and just wish each other a happy new year. Um, there'd be lots of toasts, lots of people shouting slange, and people singing a lang syne, just sporadically all up and down the street. Um, there's just always music, and it just is always really good fun and just seems to last all night and just always lots of good whiskey. It was always quite important that if you had a visitor come into your house, you know, that the good bottle was looked out. I remember my Nana actually saying, you know, back when she was younger, you know, the ladies would all be in one room, probably the posh front sitting room with their, their sherry or their port and lemon. And then all the men would be in the front room around the fire 
with their, their whiskey and there'd always be a lot of ceremony about whoever's house it was, you know, and the bottle of whiskey that was chosen. And yeah, to this day, I still celebrate Hogmanay and New Year in the same way. Um, no matter where I've lived in Scotland, north, south, east or west, um, I've always had an open house at Hogmanay and New Year with soup on the go or panastovies or you know or, or food to welcome in folk and usually you know the first footing will carry on for a good couple of days after the 31st just while people get around all the family and friends it's just it's a lovely tradition every christmas eve in hogmanay householders and shopkeepers along kirkwall's winding streets can be seen barricading doors and windows in preparation for the following day's ball games the Kirkwall Bar is a mass football game played out in the streets of the town every Christmas Day and New Year's Day. The game pits two rival factions against each other in a battle to secure a goal and win the game. The Kirkwall Bar sees almost the entire town turned into a football pitch for a chaotic and competitive kickabout. The game has no official rules, but there is a code of honour amongst the players, whereby certain acts are considered strictly unacceptable. And the game's popularity in recent times has led to the scrum of men becoming very large, with up to 350 men playing at any one time. There are several games during the day, both for men and boys, as well as a women's game. The burning of the clavy has continued for many generations. In Burghead and Murray, the burning of the clavy involves carrying a flame tarred filled barrel through the streets on the 11th of January. When I spoke with Fiona Jane Brown about traditions of the Northeast, she explained the heritage of the burning of the clavy in more detail. The burning of the clavy, that is something that's really Murray Shire, but it had an influence on here and it, it is a very old tradition and that's more about appealing to good forces to protect you from evil and that you burn flammable material in a barrel and carry it round on a pole and a lot of fishermen would do that on their boats not just at New Year because it's Burghead New Year and it's the old New Year by the Julian calendar, 11th of January, that they do it on. Fishermen told me, and even one of them was my dad's cousin, he said, oh, I mind that when I was a, as a youngster on the boat. And they would, again, put oily rags and whatever in a bucket, sort of set light to them. If the fishing was going bad, and then they'd run round the boat, making sure the smoke went into all the corners. And this is supposed to be getting rid of the demons or witches that mm -hmm. were causing the bad luck. And not everybody called it Clavy. I was surprised the name appeared in Peter Head because they did a version of it in Shetland. They did a version of it in the Western Isles and all the slightly different names. But it seems to be something that's very Fisher. Although probably not unique, as I say, it's something that's common to Scottish fisher folk. I haven't heard any English folk doing it. They had slightly different rituals. In the spirit of hospitality and sharing your good fortune during the festive celebrations, food was a popular gift. The sacred principle of hospitality insists that food must be shared and this would extend to the barrels of herring, a plentiful resource for anyone living near the sea at this time of year. Dundee had its own unique tradition surrounding these silver darlings. 
anyone visiting a Dundee home in the winter would likely have been offered some herring, and it became a sort of competition to see who could empty their herring barrel in time for Hogmanay, in order to make a fresh start for the new year. So people began to take herring to their friends' houses, while first footing to start the New Year's food supply with goodwill. This is all very well and comparatively straightforward. However, at some point in the 19th century, a few first footers, possibly having had a dram or two already, decided that this would be more memorable if the fish looked a bit more festive. Thus was born the Dundee dressed herring. The dress was literally a crepe paper skirt and bonnet combination in bright colors, and they were tied to ribbons and carried through the streets and into the homes on Hogmanay night. These were not for eating, these were invited guests, and once they were in, they stayed all year, dangling somewhere in the house to keep their luck until the next time. Perhaps it was the novelty or the fun of making them, or the sense they needed all the luck they could get, but the dressed herring caught people's imaginations. As well as hanging the herrings up once she had received them, some families would hit each other with them to make sure the luck really rubbed off. This tradition is little heard of now, although some older people in Dundee will tell you it used to be almost ubiquitous. A Hogmanay poem written by Angela Wybrow. Tonight is the night of Hogmanay. This tired old year cannot now stay. Upon the hillside stands a lone croft, the light from its window inviting and soft. People are gathered to hear the bells, they're wishing this year a fond farewell. It is a time for the giving of special gifts, bringing together and healing old rifts. At the party folk dance and sing, waiting for the parish bells to ring. Happy and hopeful is how the folk feel as they dance the traditional jigs and reels. A minute to midnight, Hogmanay is near. The clock strikes twelve and folk all cheer. The bells they ring out one last time. Folk join hands and sing old Lang Syne. Despite the hour being so late, for their first foot the revelers wait. At the door there soon comes a knock, and the door from the inside is eagerly unlocked. At the door stands a man, dark and tall, wishing a warm greeting to one and all. To the crofter he now hands a peat, a traditional gift providing some heat. He also brings whiskey, a good single malt, some silver, some bread, some coal, and some salt. Coal for warmth, salt for flavor, bread for food, silver for wealth, and whiskey to lift the mood. Within the croft there's plenty of cheer, now that Hogmanay is finally here. This is our last podcast for 2021, and it's been great to see so many people starting to come back to visiting Scotland, taking tours and seeing what we have to offer in the Northeast. And I'm really looking forward to what the next year will bring. So we'll take a short break from our podcast for a couple of weeks. And we'll be back in January with brand new episodes with more stories about the northeast of Scotland. 
Have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. <laughs>